Well, President Moon Jae-in said the COVID-19 crisis could present new opportunities for inter-Korean cooperation, calling it the most urgent task at the moment. And he proposed the two Koreas make joint quarantine efforts. Uh, He said all of this during the second anniversary of the Panmunjom inter-Korean declaration uh, this past Monday. So uh, we're going to discuss the prospects of uh, potential collaborations with Dr. Ki Park. He is the uh, director of DPRK program. Programs for the uh, Korean American Medical Association and also a lecturer at Harvard Medical School. Hello. Yeah, hi. Keith Park here. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Park. So uh, first, can we get your reactions to uh, President Moon's uh, comments in regards to uh, cooperation in the area of public health? Uh, I understand you also recently wrote a, uh, an op-ed that uh, it is uh, maybe time for the South Koreans to to claim leadership uh, in terms of taking destiny into their own hands, so to speak, in regards to the North? Yeah, so um, Christine Ahn, a colleague of mine and myself, we penned an an, an opinion piece that was published in the Responsible Statecraft uh, website. And there we we really thought there was an opportunity for President Moon Jae-in uh, to sort of uh, follow through with his signature uh, policy piece of uh, peace on North uh, uh, inter-Korea peace. The coronavirus situation clearly is an opportunity. It's a new uh, uh, way of thinking, of thinking about the traditional uh, national security. There's a global security at stake, which calls for a solidarity and, 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 and unprecedented cooperation. So I think there's an opportunity. And I think uh, the way that South Korea has handled the COVID-19 epidemic in their country has brought them up into the world stage as a a, a sort of a diplomatic capital. And on top of that, the recent parliamentary uh, elections where uh, the ruling party uh, sort of swept the elections, that's a mandate for him uh, and sort of a permission to proceed uh, with his signature piece. So I think he has a a tremendous opportunity. And he expressed that at uh, at the statement he read at the two-year anniversary of the Panmunjom summit. Right. So uh, in large credit uh, to South Korea's early efforts uh, of uh, mass testing, of contract contact tracing, uh, these um, seemingly more technical uh, medical uh, type of policies, that has in turn uh, allowed South Korea and the leadership, including President Moon Jae-in, to have more uh, so-called leverage in terms of uh, dealing with the North, especially in the area of uh, of medical cooperation. Does that then imply that they are, if you if you talk about a mandate that you just mentioned, that they are able to do this um, without necessarily? Because as as you well know, uh, there's always been a sense of um, a nunchi or um, this uh, awareness that uh, you have to kind of have a tacit approval from the U.S. before engaging in these kind of things. Oh, I wouldn't say it's tacit. It's pretty explicit. Okay, okay. How, uh, U.S. feels about right. it. Right. <laughs> Is, you know, they were pretty blunt about it. And I, I, this, is a, this is a key point. This is a turning point, I think. And, and, and President Moon has two years left in his presidency. Yes, until now, I think they've sort of walked in locked in, locked in step and consulting with the U.S. But let's face it, the U.S. And, 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 and South Korea have two different objectives. U.S.'s objective is, has to do with denuclearization. South Korea's objective is peace. And the U.S.'s tactic is maximum pressure. Well, you can't really achieve at peace while applying pressure at the same time. It's a bit, bit conflicting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time 
that President Moon can step out uh, in sync with U.S. when it comes to uh, inter-Korea relations. And remember, it's hard, it's difficult to, I think it's sort of short-sighted uh, to look at North and South relations as an inter-Korea problem, because the things that are blocking it uh, are really international. So I think for sure, North and South, they have to have inter-Korea relations, uh, bilateral discussions ongoing. Mm-hmm. But there are multilateral mechanisms that could be uh, more leveraged, and I don't think South Korea has really done that. Things like uh, UN agencies, uh, um, UNICEF, uh, WHO projects inside North Korea. And then don't forget their diplomatic powers that South Korea has. I think they've, uh, they've underutilized. Right. Right now, U.S. is cornered, on, uh, you know, as far as the maximum pressure. No one is really on their side anymore. And I think we need some strong leadership to say, hey, uh, let's, let's start reconsidering these uh, devastating and brutal sanctions and then see if we can uh, take some steps towards peace. In your view, then, uh, does this uh, kind of sequence of events in the optimistic sense, uh, where where we have uh, South Korea with a strong mandate, uh, a president whose ruling party had a sweeping victory in the recent parliamentary elections, uh, the country being widely lauded all over the world uh, for its response to the coronavirus outbreak, that uh, that momentum can kind of take place timing-wise in this area where, as you say, the U.S. is cornered uh, and they are struggling themselves, uh, not just uh, uh, with their own coronavirus outbreak, with their economic problems and and perhaps a a lack of trust in terms of leadership uh, throughout the free world. Is this something that can take place during the Trump presidency with their hawkish advisors, with people like Mike Pompeo? Or do you have to wait till... uh, presidential elections take place in the U.S. And and a lot of skepticism here, as you know very well, Dr. Key, that uh, a uh, potential President Joe Biden would not necessarily be any more sympathetic to uh, some of these things that we're talking about right now vis-a-vis North Korea. Right. It remains to be seen how hawkish the president, if if Biden were to be elected uh, on the North Korea issues. But I don't think uh, South Korea should wait. Uh, uh, until the new elections, because that's another year from now before right. it really right. uh, happens. I think they could move on it. U.S. is floundering, uh, in both in, you know, domestically and internationally. Uh, this is a kind of an opportunity for Moon to sort of fill this leadership gap uh, as far as you know, North Korea policy. And the COVID-19 uh, situation has really opened up a whole new uh, channel of uh, diplomacy opportunities. So uh, it's, it's, it's I think uh, he's, he's on the right track. I'd love to see him uh, score some, some quick wins and then build that up. From uh, your line of work, uh, uh, what you're doing as director of DPRK programs uh, uh, for the Korean American Medical Association uh, and uh, what, what you're able to see that is both feasible and also maybe even pushing the envelope forward to, to even be more bold, what, what kind of specific measures can South Korea do right now? Uh, in, in terms of the field of medical cooperation, maybe I can ask you later on, uh, 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 besides medical cooperation. Sure. From uh, uh, I think President Moon hit the nail on the head. COVID it requires uh, global cooperation and, and solidarity. That's a perfect way to try to reach out to North Korea, uh, maybe even providing testing kits and, and additional you know, personal protective equipment, those kinds of things. And that, that's bilateral. But don't forget, there are multiple uh, UN agencies and NGOs that are also working inside North Korea, and South Korea could be supporting them uh, from the backside. And then there's uh, the whole idea of um, 
of, of South Korea using their diplomatic powers. And one clear example of that would be to help establish a financial uh, channel, banking channel. If you look at the Swiss government, uh, they were able to convince uh, U.S. Treasury to establish a, a banking channel for their uh, Swiss-based NGOs to work in Iran. And this is a perfect example where South Korea can take a leadership position and establish, with U.S. permission, a mm-hmm. banking channel that allows NGOs and humanitarian organizations to finally be able to uh, send money and, and you know, uh, be able to pay for their bills inside North Korea. So this is, uh, I'd love to see that happen. Now, you mentioned the U.S. floundering and maybe not necessarily taking priority on these kind of specific measures with setting up a banking channel, as you mentioned. It is quite intriguing. I'm sure you've looked into this much more deeply than most of us listening right now as to the question of how this relates or subverts the current sanctions regime and if a simple okay from the U.S. side would basically allow uh, such a uh, structure to take uh, take shape? Right. So it's been my observation, I'm not the only one, that uh-huh. there's been a fundamental shift within the U.S. Uh, side as far as how they interpret humanitarian assistance in North mm. Korea. Uh, in February, they released a rare public statement, the, the Department of State Department, uh, expressing solidarity with North Korean people and their promise or at least statement saying that they would expeditiously uh, facilitate any, any exemption request at the UN level, and they've done that. It's now a two-day uh, silence period, so if no one objects, the request for a humanitarian exemption goes through within a day or two even. So, uh, And then the, the Treasury Department has also uh, uh, published some guidelines that clearly help streamline some of these exemption processes. So you can see that the U.S. is now... Uh, taken a very uh, liberal view, if you will. I wouldn't. I think they should get rid of all these exemptions in the first place. <laughs> but the much more liberalized view of the humanitarian assistance before they were denying all capacity building type of uh, materials. But even that, those things are now going in. So this is an opportunity uh, to to really push this uh, humanitarian corridor further. Yeah, it's, so it's interesting because there's always been this talk about uh, separating the humanitarian aid issues with North Korea uh, and their uh, weapons uh, programs and their nuclear testing capabilities and, and try to target the sanctions in that end without minimizing the, the damage and punishment given to innocent civilians in North Korea. Would you generally then credit, uh, I, I know you, you're kind of cautiously using the term more liberal or progressive outlook on the current U.S. administration in regards to these issues of humanitarian concern, particularly in the midst of this COVID-19 outbreak. But is that kind of credited to Trump's supposed very warm personal relationship with with Kim Jong-un and that that has allowed that, ironically, this more conservative Republican administration to be a bit more flexible on that front? No, I don't think it okay. has to do with the personal relationship because the the restrictions, the, the, the strict criteria for humanitarian assistance uh, was in place even until last year. I think it's the COVID-19 effect where U.S. sees uh, a, a global com- a collaboration as an essential component of global health security, even if with, with tra- traditional adversaries like North Korea. And that's what really changed everything. The, the fact that COVID-19 came along and, it, and then it showed how uh, absurd this humanitarian exemptions process is that these sanctions are requiring and mm. in, a, in, in the face of an international health emergency.
The U.S. itself, and, and you know, we've, we've kind of repeatedly kind of hammered this point about them uh, floundering right now uh, in terms of their handling of the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, their uh, handling of the economic situation as well. Uh, domestically speaking, you kind of wish that, uh, that uh, the uh, widespread testing protocols as well as contact tracing uh, could have occurred on a mass scale and that perhaps the CDC uh, did not decide to go their own way in terms of trying to develop their own testing kits. Uh, But uh, this is a situation we're in right now. The the U.S. certainly has its own hands full with the situation. I'm sure as a a medical expert and a lecturer from Harvard, you know the situation much better than we do as to what's going on in the U.S. right now. But despite the fact that they are floundering, they are still uh, the richest country in the world. Uh, They are still a country that you nominally expect to provide aid and comfort to countries who are in need, especially in a global crisis like this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, For the U.S., do you think it's feasible that Washington could also provide any uh, support, despite the fact that they haven't had any progress in the denuclearization talks, despite the fact that um, they might not have as uh, powerful an economy and as much aid or maybe even political will to, to help out as much? Can they help North Korea in any way? They can, and they have, you know, if you look at the amount of money that the U.S. government is uh, 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 putting into the COVID-19 response and also the pandemic readiness, it's in the trillions of dollars. And some of that money is earmarked towards global health and and overseas assistance, like, for instance, USAID, uh, uh, State Department money. And some of that money could potentially end up with NGOs or multilateral organizations that, that uh, that work in North Korea. So it's possible. Um, I don't think politically right now U.S. can uh, put a lot of emphasis on directly assisting uh, uh, specific countries mm. because, like you said, we're you know we're four percent of the world's population, but we have twenty five percent of the world's deaths from COVID nineteen, uh, yeah. and it's still going up. So you know how do you, how do you justify that domestically? So that's right. You know, we have the money, but at the same time, I think politically we have to focus on uh, how to save American lives. I mean, you have a situation where Korea sends 600,000 test kits where Larry Hogan from Maryland uh, secures about half a million uh, test kits on his own. If the American public uh, finds and uh, a lot of them not able to get tests, uh, uh, somehow find, let's say, for example, that uh, 100,000 test kits were sent to North Korea, that would uh, probably result in some political blowback for, for the current administration. Oh, what you're saying. yeah, it wouldn't go over well. But there are other countries that are capable of helping. I mean, the one, you know, in South Korea is perfect sure, for that. sure. <laughs> yeah, and then that's a good point. Dr. Park, one, one thing that uh, we are uh, very uh, curious about here is how much help do we need to give North Korea? Because uh, as, as we all know, they're not transparent with uh, how exactly the situation is. 185 countries have at least uh, reported some kind of confirmation of COVID-19 infections within their populace. North Korea is not one of them. They, they publicly say they have zero cases. Sankei Shinbun of Japan said in their reporting that 267 people have died, um, uh, that uh, they have maybe close to 50,000 showing infections. Again, I want to say with Japanese media in regards to uh, Korean news, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And with Japanese media right now, they're not even covering their own public's uh, problems in dealing with the uh, coronavirus uh, that accurately as well. Uh, but 
you are getting these anecdotal reports coming in, whether it's from defector groups or people who have uh, some kind of third-hand uh, contacts uh, within the country, that there, there certainly is an outbreak there. And I, I think common sense will tell you that uh, that certainly uh, should be the case. Uh, what it, I don't know if you've been able to directly get any intelligence uh, in regards to this. Obviously, the zero patient claim is not true. But how bad is the situation in your view uh, in, in terms of North Korea and COVID-19? Right. So actually, we did an analysis on this exact question, whether there's COVID or not inside North Korea. So the conclusion that we came uh, was that no one really knows, right? Mm -hmm. How do you prove a negative? Uh, But I think there's 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 a a fairly significant uh, uh, data point in in the way that North Korea has handled uh, the the initial outbreak in China. For example, they're one of the first, they were the first country to uh, block their borders with China. Uh, even before they blo- uh, locked down Wuhan. Right. So uh, so they, they did this sort of a comprehensive uh, containment measures early. The next country to do that was Italy. It was six weeks later, and they already had thousands of uh, COVID deaths in country. So in pandemic timeline, days make a huge difference. So I think they might have they've been able to uh, dodge the bullet in that regard. Plus, don't forget, China uh, was very aggressive in containing the COVID-19 cases. The two provinces that border North Korea along the 900-mile border uh, with China, is uh, they only had 145 to 100 cases in each province, hmm. maybe one or two deaths. And they both went in under semi-lockdown as well. So this risk you know, the, of COVID virus entering through this you know, sort of a smuggling, you know, porous border, yeah. I think that might have been sort of overemphasized. Uh, so then the last thing is the fact that the North Koreans, and this has been confirmed by foreigners who live in Pyongyang, they're now relaxing some of their restrictions. Hmm. They're allowing people to gather. Uh, people, The foreigners are able to roam around. They actually have the Supreme People's Assembly. So there's some evidence that the South North Koreans feel somewhat confident in, the, in the, their ability to control the, uh, the entry of the virus. It's possible they have uh, cases, but right. certainly it's not to the point where the, 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 the officials are concerned. But I want to make, make sure I, I make this point very clear. Yeah. They may have dodged a bullet, but the war is like raging. Right. There's over right. 2 million cases out there. So it's a global pandemic. And, and then there's always a possibility the virus could come in, and they know that. And so they are at the same time, uh, while practicing very aggressive public health containment measures, they have to strengthen the health system. So you saw they're building the uh, Pyongyang General Hospital that was started last month. Mm. Uh, that's an attempt to try to increase treatment capacity. And they've also opened up an oxygen, uh, g- medical oxygen uh, generation plant. And that's because COVID-19 is a respiratory disease. We, we know that, and they know that as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they're starting to develop and, and manufacture uh, ventilators pretty soon. So uh, as somebody who has been to the North Numerous times since 2007, you you have engaged with uh, medical uh, personnel there. Uh, we we do have uh, some sense that uh, perhaps it's not as as dire a situation, uh, as devastating as we've seen in places like Italy, Spain, uh, even in New York City. But the idea that uh, this is no by no means over. Uh, people can still uh, infect other people. They, they still do have uh, foreign personnel coming in and out, uh, although uh, much lower levels that uh, North Korea will eventually need help and South Korea will have to take the lead. 
North Korea is uh, uh, building up their own treatment capacity, medical countermeasure capacity. And that's, that's, that's not a secret. They've reached out to the international community to help them with diagnostic capabilities. So they have the machines to run the tests, but they actually need to test kits mm-hmm. specific to COVID-19 virus. And that takes some time to develop. So they've asked for those kits, and those kits are going in. The Chinese are sending right. them in. The Russians have sent them in. And we should continue to send additional test kits and, and the machines to help them build them up. But I think it would be also helpful to provide a, a, a supply of um, ventilators and, you know, the things that the therapeutics, things that right. would be needed uh, right away if there was an outbreak. Uh, it was, and okay. the, I think the WHO is working on it and some of the other NGOs. Very good. Dr. Key Park, thank you very much for this uh, extensive discussion. We definitely learned a lot and, and really appreciate your insights. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for asking me. It's, it's been a pleasure.